Good morning. This is Jay Westerveld with our weekly show, Tales and Trails. And uh, we cover a lot of things. Our, our last two shows were actually specials about Lyme disease because with both Tales and Trails, uh, hiking, outdoors stuff and all, it's an important subject. And also, this is a really bad year for Lyme. So we, uh, my... Um, Sort of uh, temporary co-host or regular serial co-host? Yes. co-host. That's scary. That, that's, <laughs> serial anything always gives a, a, a bad uh, implication. But Heather McConnell is with me today again, and Heather suggested today let's you know let's kind of veer away from the typical just Lyme disease talk that we've been doing and go back to the general wildlife, which is a great idea because recently I am inundated with wildlife questions and. Um, some great questions that you've been getting on on Facebook and yeah, yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. You know, there are no goofy questions, only goofy people. <laughs> so well, here we go. You said it. I did it. <laughs> but uh, it's been really interesting. The sort of wildlife things that are happening. It's a very different sort of year this year obviously in so many ways, but even in the natural world, that we're seeing a, a lot of abnormalities, a lot of explosions of populations of different kinds of things. Unfortunately, uh, absences of some critters too. Yeah, the peepers was That's the- That's a weird one. Yeah, yeah. What, what other absences have you noticed? Ah, well, that's a problem with absences is sometimes... No, but <laughs> you don't all, all see it. You aside, don't notice exactly. Yeah. This yeah. is what happened with the uh, cricket frog here in New York mm. State. People people didn't notice the absence until, you know, and I think I've mentioned this before, actually a zoologist with whom I worked when I was a kid in the 70s, amazing guy, uh, Robert Zappalorti. He was the... Uh, the head curator of the Staten Island Zoo, and he's essentially the world's, one of the top two experts on the bog turtle in the world, barring what anyone else might say in terms of just academia. I love Bob Zapp, this, so he's this, he was this great zoo manager, has more field experience with the bog turtle than anyone else. And a funny sidebar story about that, I mentioned academia, he's not an academic. And uh, once he was in court and he was uh, representing um, actually somebody who was, you know, trying to preserve habitat where there were bog turtles. And uh, so the developer, and this was like in the Jersey Meadowlands, the developer got this really, you know, deep pocketed developer got these great high powered lawyers. Uh, and the lawyers. Meadowlands just, uh, oh, yeah. It was a mess for so long. <laughs> so the lawyers brought in these biologists, you know, biostitutes, as we say who you know you can pay them anything to <laughs> give you the result that you want because hey they have bills too right they're paying off their college loans and he the guy brought in this crew of phds who all said oh there's no bog turtles there there's no bog turtles there and the judge said to bob zappalorti who was sort of a mentor of mine as a kid uh, the the attorney rather uh for the developer said this man as far as i know has no college education at all and the um the judge asked Mr. Zappalorti, you know, do you have your, P hold your PhD? And he goes, no, uh, do you have any education at all? And Bob said, well, yeah, I do, School of Hard Knocks. And uh, <laughs> I've been studying these things forever. I first started uh, studying snakes in the jungles of Southeast Asia in mm. the 60s. And the judge said, say no more, gotcha. You know, mm -hmm. and he was fine with them. And Bob's a dynamite guy. But anyway, so Bob noticed, because he always took copious field notes and wasn't an academic, when he would be in the field, he holistically noted everything he heard and saw, not just the focal species that he was paid to uh, study. And he just wrote down, hmm, no cricket frogs this year. Another site, no cricket frogs, no cricket frogs. 
he gets no credit for it, but this man was actually the gentleman um, responsible for noting the decline of this species in the Northeast. And now it's, I think it's considered endangered in Jersey and in Pennsylvania. Um, in New York, it's considered endangered, this frog. So it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. If you keep your eyes peeled and you listen for the lack of things, you know, it's kind yeah. of like some great classical music where it's the spaces between the notes that exactly. make the difference. And that's the difficult thing too. Like sure. you said, it's, uh, it's the lack of observation. And um, this is too. the problem with contemporary bi uh, field biology and ecology. You know, we, these universities and here in the Northeast, we have a couple of really bad ones who just pump out ecologists all day long. And these are people who maybe worked in a pet store all their lives, rarely stepped outside, like even onto the yard. And they wow. just thought, well, because I study lizards and I buy them on the internet as pets, I'm, I'm an expert. Well, yeah. And, and there's also the fact that just, you know, we've seen it in our lifetimes just growing up um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not that old, <laughs> um, but, but just uh, changes, <laughs> yeah, changes in the local. And when you get young kids that grow up today who've never, you know, well, let's knock on wood that not this doesn't happen, but never heard peepers, they're going to grow up thinking that's normal. Right, right. And Everything's you a new normalize normal. this, and uh, that's uh, you know, w older people may remember who knows things that we don't hear too. You know, my, my older brother, uh, my only brother, he passed away two years ago and he was an amazing ecologist and he did beautiful work and uh, he had a, a really good company um, down in the state of Georgia uh, mm. for a while doing ecological uh, research. And um, he had a great saying, he used to say, in terms of wildlife preservation and ecological preservation, everybody wants the world to be the way it was when they were a child. When they were a child. And they forget yeah. that, you know, and I've said this before on the show, so pardon me for being repetitive, but they forget that when their parents were children, it was different. When their grandparents were children, it was different. And they forget that flux, yeah. flux and change are the first rule. Yep. So, you know, it's the, always changing. There's changes, but they're, they're the changes just like in life, um, the things you can control and the things that are without your control. And some of these changes, when they're anthropogenically, uh, you know, created, maybe we have to try to control them. When it, there are changes that are a result of people, well, maybe we can sort of undo them. But you had some interesting uh, observations <laughs> and questions to share, Heather. Yeah. Okay. So, well, one thing I wanted to mention was um, a long time ago, and I think it was 1980s, maybe, maybe it may have been the 70s, not sure. Um, I'm going to have to look through uh, my mom's notes because she always wrote down interesting things that would happen in terms of wildlife around the house. And we, my dad, I guess, came home from work in the evening and these frogs little frogs, teeny little frogs were marching across over the house. <laughs> we, our house was apparently in their way <laughs> and they were not going to go around the house or under it or anything like that. They were going to go right over it. So there was a whole ton of them and, uh, and they had, uh, and I know the cricket frog has this also, they had a little crucifix that my dad could see on the back. So I am just wondering, you know, I don't think that was, I guess that's not a cricket frog, but what is that? It's and, usually a peeper, a spring peeper. The, funny, okay. the frog we're saying that, you know, are usually so egregiously common that we're not hearing so much this year. They, in fact, their Latin name, um, Sidacris crucifer, the crucifer means uh, cross carrier. Cross carrier, okay. So, so they... Um, that's probably what they were, especially back then. You know, we have a lot of tree frogs now in this region. 
Heather, uh, 20 years ago, we didn't. There weren't so many wow. at all. And we, <laughs> there was a real explosion What in um, biological sciences we call an ecological release. That means a big population explosion. So where did, where did the tree frogs come from? Well, they've been here. They were here when I was a child, but they were not so common. You'd hear one or two, you know, suddenly people would start installing in this area, starting in the 60s, above ground pools. And if somebody's house... Uh, you have a pond feature or something like that, maybe? Above no? ground pool makes above. all the difference because fish don't get into it. You ha actually have to be able to climb up to use it to breed in. <laughs> so the tree frogs found that this is something that would never get fish. They just climb up the sides, you know, because they're tree frogs, they climb. They'd mate in the water, lay their eggs there, and if people didn't open their pool, And so they didn't to speak, clean their pool, that's right. where, wow. So in 2008, okay. uh, economically, things really collapsed uh, in the country, and um, a lot of people moved out of their homes or for whatever reason didn't open their pools. There were empty homes all over the place with swimming pools. And I noticed that at these places, there would be these cacophonous, choruses of gray tree frogs so loud this brr, yeah. brr, loud sound people hear at night <laughs> and it was deafening and it continues now because they just they don't have many natural predators and they just do really well so they're and what does eat them what what would well obviously well, i guess fish would eat them if they were in able. no other, other things do though including in those above ground pools dragonfly larvae and uh, aquatic beetles are the greatest predators against these things. We always against think frog uh, eggs, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after the break, we'll talk more about that. <laughs> That's Sam's Mead Warehouse has been supplying restaurants and shops with the highest quality local and sustainably sourced prime and choice wholesale meat, steaks, poultry, seafood, and much more for over 20 years. Whether you're a small family butcher shop or a busy steakhouse, expect A1 service and the finest products available. Call Sam's at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off Route 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Tune into the Nonprofit Notebook, your resource for and about people helping people. Learn about all the events and services available for you, friends, or family. Open your Nonprofit Notebook Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Radio worth listening to. Hi, I'm Dave Edwards, and I invite you to join me every Sunday night when we'll showcase a perfect album. I'll start with side one, track one, and we'll play every song in order from the record. A few bonus songs, as well as some trivia, too, right here on Radio Worth Listening To. WTVQ. And we're back with Tales and Trails. This is Jay Westerveld with my guest, Heather McConnell, and we're talking about... Uh, about some frog stuff. About frogs, yes. We're talking about the little... <laughs> so the, these gray tree frogs that became really abundant around here, especially after 2008, there's an interesting thing about those, Heather. You were asking about predators to them. Well, as we said, people think of nature as being sort of static, and they forget that tree frogs, which breathe air, run around on legs, uh, they eat dragonflies and other insects, which okay. fly around to breathe air. Right. But both of these creatures together in their... Um, in their swimming pool habitat, in their, their natural swimming pool habitat, apparently. In their larval <laughs> form, uh, when they're tiny, 
a tree frog starts out as a tadpole, which needs to, it has gills, it breathes water. And um, a dragonfly starts out as a nymph, has no wings, and it also has gills and lives underwater. Well, at that stage, the dragonfly larvae prey upon uh, tadpoles. Wow. In fact, uh, just a handful of these things can wipe out hundreds of uh, great tree frog tadpoles. So the, the, the dragonfly larvae eat the tadpole, the yeah. the, gray, the gray tree frog larvae, but the gray tree frog adult eats the dragonfly adult. Absolutely. So, you know, people <laughs> sometimes goodness. miss that. Wow. They, they um, you know, people forget that nature is unfortunately all about birth and death. It's cruel and um, it's, you know, you, Red you can't and tooth just, and claw. <laughs> yeah, you can't just, it's you know, like, point a finger and say, oh, this is just, you know, so benign and all. Everything out there is essentially a killing machine right out of a science fiction movie, just <laughs> trying to kill other things to stay alive. Even, even all the cute little baby things, even the, yeah. 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 <laughs> so you had some other interesting uh, observations yourself. Well, I, I, I did want to bring up your in your we had tur we had some discussion about turtle attacks oh yeah that's you know these are hyped i i, I that's one that really bothers me so people were i mean about, there should be a movie when turtles attack or something I, I, i'm like sure that. there was too so people worry about snapping turtles eating waterfowl and um it's not really as common as people think it's actually very uncommon when it does happen it's typically when you have domestic ducks which are uh, in terms domestic. of their habit yeah they're a lot different than a wild duck they move very slowly and um they they really stand out they've been um domesticated and bred forever not to worry about predators anyway when they're in a pond rarely but occasionally a snapping turtle might get a taste for them because they're but typically snapping turtles are bottom feeders most people fail to understand that they're mostly herbivorous. They eat way more plant matter than animal matter. And the animal animal matter is usually dead. Just think of them as um, lazy teenagers of the animal world. They just <laughs> kind of hang around, eat whatever is easy to get to, and they're bottom feeders. They don't do much. So when a snapping turtle may attack something, you, is it because it feels threatened more than, well, than be? It's actually not going after food as much as it's just protecting itself? Or? Yeah, they. for one thing, very few people know this. This will shock a lot of listeners. A snapping turtle will not snap at a person in the water, ever. It just won't happen. Oh, wow. You can um, jump into the water with them with snorkeling gear, throw one in your swimming pool and swim with it. <laughs> it won't bite underwater. You can push push on its nose all day long. It, it won't do it. They only, I, and by the way, they have to- And you've done this. A lot, yeah. A lot. So they okay. have to be underwater in order to eat. Oh. The only okay. time they snap uh, at people or at a dog or a cat that's too curious is when they're out of the water. They're out of their oh. element. They can't move that quickly, so they they snap. They don't have a shell that covers yeah. them. Or when they're on the road and you're trying to move them and you you know <laughs> do that. Yeah, when you're trying to help them. Yeah. So, but it's it's you know very hyped up, almost to the point of mythology that they take out ducks and geese. Far greater predators against baby ducks and geese are uh, certainly largemouth bass. And in this area, largemouth bass aren't even native. They're actually from greater river valleys than this to, oh, wow. yeah, to the south and the west. Okay. Anyway, largemouth bass take out lots of uh, baby ducks. 
And uh, raccoons certainly raccoons, do. In fact, yeah. I, I noticed in uh, the Facebook group, Warwick Wildlife, uh, Mayor Dan from the village of Florida, our yes. wonderful mayor, who's a, a brilliantly also, uh, trained anthropologist. And, and yeah, knows a lot. About, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's unreal to have a public servant who's, uh, you know, both an academic and, and also a real field guy, a sportsman and all. Yeah. But as he pointed out, raccoons are hell on yeah. baby ducks. They yeah. really are. Raccoons are, and even coyotes are. Yeah. These are rough on a lot of things. I, I actually just, uh, aside, this was in actually Los Angeles. We had a, um, I had a very dear friend who um, wanted a koi pond. And so he put this uh, koi pond in, very shallow koi pond, and he put koi in it and everything. And uh, it, it was just an ongoing battle to keep critters um, out of that. And he said that one time he came home and there was, or it was late at night, he heard this racket, and there was a raccoon sitting on like the middle of the pond, just grabbing koi out like sushi. And just And that's what it is. Down. And he went after it with a shovel and it wasn't going to move, but he finally got it out of there. You know, it's one of those things. You, you think playing God is easy. Try to keep chickens around here yeah. or a koi pond. It's really difficult. You're yeah. constantly. Well, he ended up putting a cage around the koi pond, which isn't very decorative or attractive. But and what happens is it do. becomes reductive until finally has a goldfish bowl in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, that's yes. what you finally retract yes. your uh, thing enough. To. Yes. That's he also had out. some birds that would come down and, and you know, of course, they, they thought that was wonderful. You know, he was providing them with free food. Oh, yeah. Bir yeah. And birds, uh, you know, birds are dinosaurs, as we've said uh, many times. Absolutely. So, so turtle attacks, not, not to worry too much about turtle attacks. Then. Not at all. Yeah. There, there is a lady here in Warwick who is having trouble with one big snapping turtle in a very small now, pond. Did you that move has. that snapping turtle? Or no, you... that was last night we were discussing it. So oh, okay. yeah, I haven't, I haven't, you haven't uh, moved it yet. Okay. Yeah, I didn't exactly get up at the uh, crack of dawn to run out and move a turtle <laughs> okay. just because they're not awake yet. It's, it yeah. was a cool night, thankfully. So oh, okay. that turtle, he might be awake now. Um, and I may go over there later today to okay. uh, move that turtle. And are there lady. turtles around here? I mean, we know about the frogs that are the um, cricket frog is the endangered one, really. Are there turtles that are endangered around? And you mentioned the bog turtles. Yeah, yeah, that's a bog turtle is federally listed as threatened. So that's the, uh, um, you know, there's sort of like first prize, th second prize and third prize in terms of how um, imperiled a creature is. So endangered usually means the worst. You know, they're in right. really bad shape. They could be right. wiped out at any time. Threatened means they could get to that endangered status. And special concern means something's going on. We're watching them. Maybe just their habitat's being lost. So we have to see if we lose the critter. But bog turtles are federally considered threatened, number two. And okay. in New York State, they're considered endangered, number one level. Oh, wow. And they're, they're in really bad shape. And then what, what's threatening them? Is it loss of habitat? Loss of habis, habitat, okay. strictly. And what happens is uh, federal and state um, regulators, to this day, they fail to understand that their habitat needs are much greater than a lot of these um, <clears throat> uh, agency biologists uh, may realize, you know, they go out into the field only one or two months out of the year. They study them when they're easy to see, and they don't realize that they move around away from that focal habitat 
where these researchers are, let's say in May and June, so, and August and September, they might go somewhere else. So are they are they leaving the wet area and going to other places? Maybe. Or, okay. It seems that you have to also remember they have very, 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 very specific wetland requirements. They need wetlands that aren't too wet, not swampy with a lot of water. They need clean running water going through the wetland, not this standing bog water. And there can't be any trees or even big shrubs that uh, shade it over too much. Picky. They need a lot of, very picky. And the problem is in a natural system where the red maples grow up and make one wetland too shady, well, downstream or upstream, there may be an area where there aren't maples. So the whole body of turtles, meaning the whole population, sort of shift upward or downward to follow the sun. What happens when a state agency says, well, there's a housing development going in. We know the bog turtles are right here in this little spot of two acres. We'll protect that, but the rest of it, they won't. So everything's fine. Everybody says, oh, this is good. The state agency did wonderful work. You know, go U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Go New York State, D.C. You guys are heroes. And the housing development goes in or the industri industrial commercial park goes in and there's a little wetland there for bog turtles. Now that wetland grows in with trees and the bog turtles start walking across the parking lots and oh, the roads looking for okay. habitat. Yeah. And pretty soon they're no longer a vital population and they're gone. So And then it's like not an issue anymore. It's like, oh, the bog turtles aren't there anymore. You know, we must have been mistaken. They were never there. And then we're going to. Yeah. What, what, what most state and federal agencies do is they approach these habitat loss issues like um, you know, an injured combatant who's bleeding out really badly, they, uh, they'll tourniquet off the, uh, you know, where they're bleeding really badly, let's say the severed artery, then they'll leave them in the middle of the desert uh, with nobody else around knowing mm. that, well, they'll be dead soon anyway. This is how federal agencies work because, and certainly state agencies when it comes to wildlife, because these guys are, when it comes to preservation, they're thinking more about preserving, you know, their salary. And they're not going to be there forever. So as long as that habitat looks good while they're sitting at their desk, that's fine. Then they retire. So is there anything in terms of the bog turtle habitat? Um, you said it's getting smaller, but is that also being caused by other, like, is there plants? Are there trees that are not native that may be crowding out? No, and too often it's purely people, just, too okay. often people jump to that knee jerk thing. Oh, maybe there's something non-native. That's... That's really not it. To, you know, except for Phragmites, the common reed, right. those are bad for bog turtle habitat. They're bad for a really why are all they, wetland why habitat. Why are they bad? Because they shade everything out, and okay. they also, they don't favor um And Phragmites is to, it's a, well, a, like a reed common or reed. grass yeah, or something, reed, like, but it's it's ne it's not native. And it, no, it is. There are oh, two it is types. Okay. This is the problem, and they're they're <laughs> really they're very difficult to tell apart. So people say, "Oh, it's terrible. It's an invasive." Well, the native Phragmites uh, might be you know growing right next to it, and uh, one might not know the difference. But we we like to worry about invasive species in this country because. It's sort of like a victimless crime. You can't blame too many people who are alive now for invasive species. So okay. that way everybody's happy. Nobody's um, exposed to lawsuits. So what's the difference between the two Phragmites? Uh, genetics. Oh, just, so they're, they're basically very similar. They just don't behave identical. exactly the same because one is more shades, tends to grow more in shade and maybe. No, nothing like that. No, the, ha the uh, habitat huh. uh, needs are the same. They look identical. And speaking very frankly, more often than not, it's the uh, alien species it's the alien. that we see And here. it's Asian? They come from Asia? Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. 
I always yeah. say Eurasian because most things, it, yeah. when, you know, Asia and Europe are really one landmass. And, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> Don't tell them wildlife. that, but yeah. <laughs> well. So no, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I see you wrote that you finally saw a chipmunk. I'm, I'm seeing them everywhere. It's crazy. We haven't had any, and I don't know why. And maybe it's a female because it, you know, may just disappear for a while and then show up. But we have had some cats around. Maybe there's some snakes. I'm not sure, but usually we have at least one. But, we, you know, I saw one, so that well, was good. What happens with chipmunks, a lot like gray squirrels, people don't realize gray squirrels tend to have their babies in their nests in January and February. Oh. Most people don't realize that. Also when great horned owls uh, lay their eggs. So chipmunks tend to have their babies underground in their little chambers uh, in the very, very, very early spring. And they have all those nuts that they've saved. Mm -hmm. So they don't have a lot of reason to go out and try to find things to eat. Mm -hmm. And then as the babies start to grow up, the whole family goes out and, um, well, you know, they discover the world. Maybe I'll see them. <laughs> yeah, you will. Pretty soon you'll probably be, be cussing them out. <laughs> What's with all these things? No, they're, they're okay. We don't have too many problems. Um, oh. We, I think we're getting the, the oh, signal here. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> after a quick word from Sam's Meat Warehouse, we'll talk some more. Sam's Meat Warehouse is a butcher with old-time family values. Remember back in the day when people knew their butcher by name and visiting them was a social experience? They would talk to customers about how to cook a piece of meat to perfection. Sam's combines old world methods with modern techniques. Call your favorite butcher, Sam's, at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Hi, this is Dr. David Leach, the superintendent of the Warwick Valley Central School District and host of Your Schools. Listen every Monday at 12 noon to learn what's happening in your schools right here on WTBQ, radio worth listening to. Hi, this is Brian Baird, host of Million Dollar Feeling, heard every Saturday at 9 a.m. Join me and my guests and learn how you can let go of your past and create a future filled with a million dollar feeling. Saturdays at 9 a.m. WTBQ GHT Weather. Not as humid or hot as yesterday, but we're dry. Breaks of sunshine at times, upper 60s near 70. Tonight, partly cloudy, comfortable upper 40s near 50. Tuesday, more clouds and sun pleasant, a bit breezy at times, back in the upper 70s. And for the evening, a few clouds, quiet, low 60. Wednesday, partly sunny, turning hot and humid again, staying dry with a few showers and storms late in the day, high around 90. From the WTBQ Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Michael Prianti. WTBQ. And we're back with Tales and Trails. This is Jay Westerveld with our weekly show about outdoor stuff, cultural stuff, internationally, locally, hiking, paddling, all those things. Our last two shows were dedicated to talking about Lyme disease. We're getting a little bit away from that today and talking a bit about general nature, but I did have to make a, an announcement about an upcoming show starting this week, actually, this Thursday, 11 o'clock, same time slot as this. There's a new show here on um, WTBQ, WGHT, uh, Radio Worth Listening To, and it's going to be called 
well, it's called Food for Thought. So it's a really cool model. It is. It's the idea that it's about restaurants and food and wine, but also the attendant culture. And much like this show and other shows here on uh, WTBQ, it, it will also cover other things. And in the case of this specific show, it's going to be sort of Warwick centric, sort of like a life around the village of Warwick, uh, featuring Stephen Keeter, of okay. course, uh, which will be exciting because as a, uh, a man who's run a butcher shop here for over 20 years, uh, who's been a purveyor to the finest restaurants, he's, um, he's in a good position to talk, to speak to this, you know, with restaurateurs and also just to, you know, uh, life in the village we'll and things fi- like find that. find out what's cooking. You know, yeah. there's a, we have a lot of amazing restaurants here. Don't we? And, and a lot of change, unfortunately. A lot know, of change, seen. yeah, too. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to uh, get into that a little bit, too. Um, and also, I'm always interested in what local restaurants are doing as far as local um, produce and local produce right. and local uh, and there's there's a lot right now. It's still, we're starting to get into that wonderful summer season. So um, I just picked up some yesterday some fresh asparagus. So oh. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, so, fresh asparagus. Um, and yeah. it, you know, a lot of people don't realize it's a fern. Yeah. Well, is it really? Yeah, okay. yeah. It, yeah. It's fun because uh, the the show is going to be really exciting, and yeah. uh, as you say, there's, you know, there's just not enough of a resource for people to tune into and actually call in and ask questions about what's going on. But, you know, my friend Mr. Keeter, of course, is a guy who's been uh, he exemplifies village life here in the village of Warwick, where he's been living for twenty years and brings an international flair uh, because he can sort of compare and contrast it to other places in the world where you spent time and like right. yourself he spent time in africa yeah and uh but but all over the world and yeah and then that, food experience and we talk about different foods there <laughs> yeah you know um i was uh, my uh my friend again the one who was uh, battling the uh, raccoon with the koi pond um, and he's actually originally uh, Scottish, and he, um, but he was in, he's been in Los Angeles for a long, long time. But he was in, he was uh, my friend who I went to Uganda with, and uh, I think they they love termites there, and especially the queen. Oh yeah. And uh, you get the queen; it's this big, you know, juicy thing, and they just think that's wonderful. And he sure. <laughs> offered it to Alan, and Alan said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but, you know, hey, man, one of these days he'll probably, he'll probably try it. Well, and, you know, a funny thing you mention that, because um, people are excited about the uh, brood of uh, periodical cicadas oh, that are coming yes, up. And now yes. you have people trying to sound outrageous. Oh, the you know, foodies are excited about them. You Let's can eat them. eat them. I've yeah. eaten them a lot. Have I, you? Locally, our cicada brood is not the same as this right. brood 10 that everyone's talking right. about. There's a, brood there's a whole like bunch of different generations geographically. It's poorly they, understood by yeah. the lay uh, population, but don't tell Facebook that. Okay. Or Twitter. <laughs> so everyone's an expert. And um, so people are excited to eat them. I, boy, back in, um, I'm trying to remember what year it was. I think about 79, we had a big brood here, and I ate so many right after they emerged from their shells. And then I felt now, so guilty, Heather, because they spent 17 years in the dark, <laughs> under the ground, just stuck to a root, sucking juice out, 
finally, after 17 years of that hell, they come out, they emerge, <laughs> right? These things like Prometheus, they climb up a tree, their shell splits, they have wings, they're getting ready to fly, and then some schmendrick comes along and eats, eats it. <laughs> to this day, I feel guilty about that. I, to this day, I intend to answer for it at the, at the uh, pearly gates. Now, so I, I think it's a dumb idea. Well, now, now what? Not only you, though, eat them. What else eats them? Everything. 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 Okay, oh, yes, my God. So. Bird bird populations, um, many animal populations are re reliant on them. But a funny thing, they're not all exactly 17 years, the cicada right. in, in that specific um, genus. And there are several genera of uh, cicadas around here. There are some that are called annual cicadas. We hear them every year right, in the summer. Right. And they, yeah. they live uh, two to three years up. Pardon me, actually one, two, in some cases up to seven years under the ground. Almost always odd numbers. And prime huh. numbers, especially with the periodical cicadas, 13-year uh, cicada or cicada, 17-year um, cicada or cicada. Interesting. The reason for that is it's more difficult for animals that have annual emergence, like birds, they're hatched every year. Yeah, you there, know, there's a, a pattern to it. So it's a predator that can develop and, yeah. There yeah, you go. Makes the, sense. For the same reason we have what are called mast years when there are a lot of nuts on the trees. Right. Those are always in prime numbers, mast years, so oh. that the squirrels don't suddenly adapt and just eat them all and wipe the trees out. Okay. But it will be interesting. I, you know, we'll see. I, I have a feeling that uh, Food for Thought uh, Thursdays at 11 a.m. is going to cover a lot of international stuff. But I'm more excited to hear the local stuff to learn what restaurants are doing well. They're going to talk about restaurant history. Oh, nice. Apparently, there's a mystery guest uh, coming up for this show. Okay. Uh, and uh, I have no idea who that's going to be. Um, I think <laughs> it'll be pretty exciting. I'm hoping that um, WTBQ is going to get their psychic, Lisa Morrison, to, or her medium rather, <laughs> to bring Anthony Bourdain on as a guest, if that could happen. That would be really exciting, That would I think. be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> but I know that Stephen Keeter, uh, who knows more about village life here in Warwick than just about anyone, uh, having been here for 20 years, and actually has the perspective of having lived internationally before settling here and working in food here, is going to bring a lot to it. It's going to I'm be excited. interesting. Yeah, I'll be interested too. And I think there's a lot of foods. I think it's becoming more common for people to forage, to look and, and gather things. But you know, for so long, Americans kind of go along going, okay, well, we have carrots, we have tomatoes, we have corn, we have these basic things. And now we're sort of discovering some other things. And you can go out and, you know, you were on the lawn at the old school Baptist meeting house recently, munching on something. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sheep sorrel. That's, Sheep that's sorrel. good eats. Yeah, no, yeah. I was going nuts on sheep sorrel there with my uh, lovely young assistant. Yes. And having a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. That's good food. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm uh, unfortunately then the... Uh, it, it didn't last long because it got mowed. Um, you know, <laughs> it's nice when the village can have... Uh, you know, their, their own uh, publicly funded mowers uh, mowing these private properties. Yeah. But that's, that's village life. You know, yeah. you, you get past it. The important thing is the food, the natural food. And you mentioned foraging. I like to call it natural looting. <laughs> okay. It's kind natural of a funny looting. thing. All right, that works. You're not supposed to do it in Central Park, but in my um, urban e ecology class that I used to run for Columbia there, we would always try, We there was a spot right near Belvedere uh, Castle where there's a lot of sassafras. 
Oh, and a lot yeah. of these international executive students were so excited, they couldn't believe it, that we could pull up a little root and take shavings off the root bark and it tasted like root beer. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the, it's great. Yeah. yeah. It smells so good, too. I always love to crush the leaves. Uh, it's actually down at the uh, Renaissance Fair two years ago um, and uh, in the summertime. And I was at this one little place up in the forest, and there was a sassafras tree growing right there. I thought, did you know there. this? Did you have that? And uh, there's actually a one near me that I want to dig up or dig up part of it, but it's also got poison ivy <laughs> right next to it. So I'll have, to, I'll have to figure that one out. But that, yeah, that that's a great, great native plant and a lot of things you can do with it too. Oh yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. Just so. bo boiling the uh, inner bark peeled away from the roots is great. Uh, yeah. But uh, many other things as well. And a lot of critters really like it. Of course, deer do. So mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> there's very yeah. little they won't eat. In fact, I really think in about 10 years time, they're going to start eating people. <laughs> I'm really worried about deer. I mean, I, I hope hope I'll be ready, but yeah, I worry about yes. others. Well, I, I did see finally two this morning. I've not seen them in a long time, which is very odd because they would. And we have hosta, and they love hosta. And yeah, the hosta do. plants are just doing wonderfully. And so I knew they weren't around because they weren't eating. My hosta was alive and not chewed down to the little um, nubs, but there were two and they were just very nervous, which I thought was interesting. And uh, I know that the guys across the street from us as a farm um, hunted. So maybe they were just a little jittery from that because um, uh, from hunting season, but hunting season's well over. So I, I don't know it's, what was going that's on. That's not it. It's, it's because of the fawns. Most okay. of them have fawns Did now. not see any fawns. but No, they, you won't. That's by design. You oh, won't see fawns. Okay. You can so, step, you can veritably step on a fawn accidentally. Ooh. What happens is the parents are very, very, very nervous about that. So okay. the, um, so the, there's probably a fawn hidden somewhere around. No, the there's prob probably about 10. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I, we I don't mean to fields. say it in that tone, but oh <laughs> yeah. God, they, these things reproduce while they're reproducing. They <laughs> What happens is the does get very nervous and they're... Um, what they try to do is get you to look somewhere else. Okay. Uh, you know, so they'll always okay. be running away to divert your attention away from where the fawn is. And that's why they're extra nervous. Okay. And oh, they're also trying to you know, eat a lot to produce enough milk to sustain the fawn. Then they're constantly moving the fawn. Oh, so they, okay. They get that's it to stand up and do its wobbly little walk to another spot. Okay. And they keep moving them around. And then you'll see deer typically in our region will have two fawns and often one is lost and that's just nature. You know, the oh, idea wow. is if you have two, you know, if something's going to try to kill one, they'll kill one. And then the doe has time to, you know, uh, hide the other one again. Sometimes now we're seeing does with three or four fawns and actually three or four. Sometimes it's wow. because the, uh, the doe was killed on the road or something. So the fawn just takes in with, uh, another. Oh, for another one. Yeah. Because it's we crazy. do have a huge number of deer, uh, collisions. In fact, somebody I think was just showing on Facebook that they collided and the car was... <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Yeah, because now yeah. The, the does are running around trying to divert everything from the fawns, including cars. So they, they do that. And they, you know, this cross-species nursing isn't as rare as people think. Remember huh. when I was a boy at my uncle's farm right here in uh, Warwick, the um, there'd often be little baby raccoons mixed in with the kittens drinking out of the milk buckets. Oh, wow. You'd often have milk buckets when maybe a cow had some sort of mastitis or something. You don't want to 
put the cups on it to milk directly into the machine. So you just sort of hand milk or even machine milk directly into a bucket and there'd always be milk buckets around. Also the first milk you often don't use. And uh, so all the kittens, of course, you have to have cats at a dairy uh, for a number of reasons, right. would drink from the bucket. And occasionally you'd see this little striped tail mixed <laughs> in and this little guy looking up with a mask with a milk covered nose. So it's, it's funny. This happens all the time. And in, my, mo- in my mother told me that when she grew up on her family farm in Pine Island on mm-hmm. Glenwood Road, it was the Roy family. It was actually originally a couple hundred years ago it was Morehouse. It was a King's Grant. They divided along Pochuck. They divided all these um, farms up into little even acres or even plots. And uh, they were given to people. It was a King's Grant. So this is obviously sure. pre-colonial. Right. Patents. And yeah. And they cleared all the logs off, probably put them on the Pochuck and floated them out to the Hudson, I Definitely. think. Possibly. And then they dairy farmed. And, you know, this is way before anything. But they... Um, my grandfather used to feed the cats with the milk, um, and he would put, I believe, and I don't know if they still do this, put sulfur into yes. the milk for the cats yes. because that helped. That was helped them keep down some worms. disease. Worms, actually, just worms in general would okay. do a lot for. And I think after a quick word from the folks who make this possible, we'll talk more about worms. <laughs> Sam's Meat Warehouse has been supplying restaurants and shops with the highest quality local and sustainably sourced prime and choice wholesale meat, steaks, poultry, seafood, and much more for over 20 years. Whether you're a small family butcher shop or a busy steakhouse, expect A1 service and the finest products available. Call Sam's at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off Route 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Hi, this is Mike Sweeten, Supervisor of the Town of Warwick with Tony Cardone, Supervisor of the Town of Monroe. And please join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. for the roundtable here on WTBQ and WGHD. Radio worth listening to. Hi, this is Dr. Pierre Louis, a clinical psychologist. I will take your calls and I will answer all your personal and business relationship questions, helping you create a life healthy in mind, body, and spirit every Friday at 11 a.m. We're back with Tales and Trails. This is Jay Westerveld. This is our weekly show here on WTBQ, radio worth listening to. And we're talking today about uh, about everything as usual, but we're really talking a lot about the animals that people are about to run into very commonly now. As literally, we start to get into June. <laughs> in, some yeah, cases, literally in some cases, unfortunately. And you, before the uh, break, we were just talking about... Um, Worms and Heather, you had some specific questions about grubs and lawns and people being, um, you know, yeah. noticing this issue. Yeah. Well, my well, I know that my brother has had a problem with grubs in his lawn, and he's put stuff on it, and they always seem to come back. Yeah, if you put and, if you put stuff on them, that rarely works. Just like we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, when people use insecticide on their yard against ticks, it will make the problem worse. Eventually, yeah, it'll be temporary, and then it'll come back. Well, yeah, because, you know, ticks are, are uh, hitchhikers. They come in on mice, deer, even on some kinds of big birds. Uh, and where do the, how do the grubs get in there? They're just there. 
No, no, no. They're, they're, these are larval beetles. You know, the big June uh, bugs or May beetles, as okay. we call them, that, you know, you see at streetlights at night. Yep. Um, they, they start their life out in their yard, in, in the soil, uh, uh, as grubs. So the adults just go, they lay their eggs in the soil, and this is how the, the cycle starts. And then what the natural predator for them is going to be Most birds. Of birds. Yeah, most of birds. What is it? Skunks love to dig around, too, sometimes. Grubs. grubs. Uh, raccoons love to eat grubs. Bear love grubs. <laughs> yeah, bear, okay. bear go crazy. I, actually, I mean, not to sound weird, uh, they're, I've eaten them a lot. They're actually very good. They're very healthy to eat. I'm, I'm not joking. I believe you. I believe food. you. Yeah. But uh, using a poison against them is a bad idea. And it's not that I'm anti-chemical or anti-poison because you do get people who just resist anything that sounds synthetic. But the reason is when you use a, a poison like that, you kill everything else in the soil, many things that are beneficial. And when that happens, now um, naturally occurring uh, bacteria that eat fungi, they're all killed and they're not coming back once that poison's in there because these are usually pretty elegant bacteria. So what happens is you'll, you'll start to get big fungus patches on the yard also because of now, all the dead animals. When you say fungus patches, are you talking about mushrooms? No, I mean uh, tiny fungi. In some cases, the uh, individual organisms are microscopic, like athlete's foot that people get on okay. their foot. You and then the athlete's spot. foot could damage the lawn too. Sort of, it's something probably. similar. It's not, yeah. it's not the same species, but yeah, it's similar. It's a, a tiny parasitic fungus. These take over whole yards. We, in fact, uh, a common term that landscapers use is brown spot fungus. Oh, okay. And that's a bigger problem than grubs. So if you go in there and you use something against grubs, um, you may wind up with fungus. You'll wind up with a lot of dead things and a lot of things that uh, aerate the soil for your grasses. People are better to just live with grubs. I mean, you see the spots in your yard from grubs, deal with it. You know, if you don't like seeing other living things around your living grass, get a rug or, or you know. Or AstroTurf. AstroTurf or, you know, move back to Queens. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I mean, that's part of nature. If you're going to have yeah. a lawn, you're going to say, oh, I have this beautiful living grass. Well, you know, buy the ticket, take the ride. Other things come with that. Yeah. And that's unfortunately, most people are not tolerant of that kind of change. They sort of, we, we all want to over control everything. And I think that, you know, in, in a natural sense, we'll all be healthier if we just sort of let these things go and just mow the grass really low, that way you're getting sunlight in there, the grubs don't like that so much, the beetles won't lay their eggs there so much, the fungi don't do well with a lot of sunlight. But also I think as a society, we might all be a lot more relaxed and kinder to one another if we're not obsessing on things that don't matter, like, you know, Having this guy has dandelions and this guy doesn't. Exactly, yeah. I mean, these are manufactured stresses. Dandelions, that, you can eat dandelions. You can actually take sure. the uh, tops off, I guess, and, and, and saute them and fry them. Actually, uh, a really smart thing to do, Heather, is to take the greens of a dandelion mm. and mix them in with smoothies. So a lot of people find it very difficult to tolerate just dandelion leaves straight up. They're very bitter. They're bitter. Very good for you though. That that actually that bitterness is a, a result of some very beneficial chemicals. What what do they have in them? Antioxidants? I don't or, re, well. Have to look. They do it. certainly because they're green. But the specific chemical, the name escapes me right now. It's it's you actually very beneficial up. for digestion. <laughs> but the point here is that these sort of plants that are difficult to tolerate on their own are amazing in smoothies mixed in with like spinach greens that you buy, uh, you know, from a, 
a small farm or something, put that into the smoothie with yogurt and with a little Ooh. orange juice or lime a juice. A little to, sweetener, yeah. Or something like something like lime juice isn't so much a sweetener as it is uh, something that's complementary to the bitterness. Mm. So it's not fighting it. It's not the opposite. It sort of works with it to Channeling. make it more palatable. Channeling, well said. Yeah, or 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 taekwondo. taekwondo. <laughs> or like these mediums uh, who, who might bring Anthony Bourdain back for a show. <laughs> but if you take these things, there are so many beautiful greens out there, and like the sheep sorrel I was talking about eating mm. on the church lawn. Uh, mixing that into your smoothies is great. Even cabbage plantain, there are so many. Clover, just wild clover, alfalfa that you see on roadsides. Yeah. Rinse it well and throw that into your smoothies. You will be a healthier person. And I know the woodchucks love clover, so oh, they must be. They? Uh... <laughs> they really do. And that, you know, that's one of the problems uh, with them. Yep. And I think the rabbits too, because we've had them on our lawn. <laughs> Everything away. likes clover, and uh, you know, including bees for honey. You know, mm, and it's it's like yeah. I mentioned this on um, a show about a month ago that you know I once went to an apiarist uh, in California uh, when I lived up in the Bay Area, and um, they had all these exotic honeys, and I said, "Can I have some clover honey?" And they just laughed at me and they were like, well, that's what you buy at Safeway, you know? And I just I just wasn't cool enough, you know? I, I didn't want the really obscure, uh, bizarre honey that was found in some crazy valley in the high Sierras. But I, I love clover honey. Yeah, you know, It's, it's yeah. one of my favorites. Let me ask you something, because you mentioned this um, a while ago and I just kind of went, okay, wait, what? <laughs> and you said something about, um, I think it was crustaceans in our lawns. Something crustaceans or not lawns? crustaceans, maybe some other kind of thing that I normally associate with the ocean. <laughs> and oh, coin. sure, fairy shrimp uh, out in the woods, not so much in our yards. Okay, that could be it. Fairy it shrimp, clam shrimp. These are actual crustaceans that are just in the ground. Wow, and they're really seen as pre-glacial holdovers from when really honestly, really <laughs> that ancient in many cases even though there was as we talk about the big scrape across the northeast that right. scraped everything to rocks a lot of these things persisted or it's thought uh, that they'd had since there, there were uh, there were marine coverings here so are there areas where you can find them up in the mountains now or absolutely right around here just about everywhere in the very early springtime when the snow first melts in some of these woodland pools, if you go out there, they'll be full of what we would have called sea monkeys, the brine shrimp, okay. these tiny shrimp. Right. And then okay. about 10 years ago, I this is kind of cool actually. I personally discovered a big population of what are called clam shrimp. This is a bizarre animal. It has a bivalve clam shell. It looks just like a steamed clam or something, but it's actually a crustacean. It makes its own clam shell with its own body and it, you know, it still has 10 legs or whatever. And but how I, how big are these things? Thumbnail size. Thumbnail. These okay. things are right. really this quite This is not huge. something you could, you know, eat, really. <laughs> well, you can. And one really nutty biologist who I often mention on these shows, uh, my dear friend Peter Warney, we were out in the field looking at these things. He was collecting them, putting them into jars of formaldehyde, which is not my brand of whiskey at all. I don't like when people do that. But he's an old school biologist who wants to just collect and you know keep these things for posterity, get them into museum collections. At the same time, he was eating these things. I mean, these big live clumps of these clam shrimp and it's like chowing down on them. You know, it was just bizarre. Uh, that's, again, not something I'm going to do, but these are a really crazy creature. And um, 
I was really excited. Uh, a lot of biologists were actually flying into this area just to see these populations. And uh, then a graduate student got involved and, you know, of course she took over the research, a nice lady. And um, at the end of the day, we found that these things got here, and I've mentioned this before, from the fenders of kids' four-wheelers. Oh. So they're okay. actually something that are found more in the Ohio River Basin. Okay. And because some you people had four-wheelers that had been out in Ohio, they were using them in the Meadowlands of New Jersey. And then also people who were in the Meadowlands of New Jersey with their four-wheelers also were bringing them up here and using okay. them in areas here. It's just such a weird, fascinating but they were, story. They, they, they got here and they liked the, I guess, I guess the uh, ecosystem's fairly similar to Ohio. And Absolutely. they could just uh, adjust. And they just like mud puddles. So, they're they're okay. really simple. They're actually, wow. they're a very, very simple crustacean who have very, very generalized uh, needs. And these are from pre-Ice Age creatures. Oh or... God, yeah, and actually, technically, in terms of what kind of creature they are, I mean, these are one of the earliest um, forms of higher life. Mm, uh, okay. Clam shrimp is an ancient thing, going back with like the first horseshoe crabs in uh, trilobites or trilobites. Okay. Um, you know, and again, uh, Mayor Dan did, would be a great guy to speak to this. Did you feel guilty eating that? <laughs> I didn't eat them. Oh, uh, my friend did. Pete did. Um, I, you know, I, I try never to feel guilty for what my friends do. So that, and <laughs> Pete is an amazing biologist. I only learn from him, even if it's not what I expected or wanted to learn. But that's like nature. Okay. All right. Well, I think we, we've covered a lot of ground here, too, I think. Uh, I know I did want to uh, ask you, too, like about the black bears. We should just say that black bears don't normally attack people. They do attack garbage cans, however, <laughs> which do. I think I've seen several this morning, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. These people who carry bear spray in the woods around here or who are afraid of black bears, just stop it. You know, if you're that afraid of black bears, please don't go out into the woods because they're absolutely harmless. People will always say, oh yeah, but there's this article oh, that kid got attacked. Read the articles more closely. No, the one a lot more one exception it. I would ask you about is what about if you if you encounter a female with the cubs? I'd compliment them. I mean, they just, <laughs> okay. I'm not trying to be funny. They <laughs> don't right. get aggressive even with their cubs around. They just try to get the cubs away from you. Don't be an idiot. Don't try to take a selfie with their cubs. Right, you know? right. You take right. a selfie Don't with my them. cub, I'm going to attack you. You know, it's, that's life. <laughs> but um, it looks like we're just about getting toward the end of the show. And before we uh, finish up here, Heather, I just wanted to remind listeners again about that upcoming Thursday show at okay. 11. It's yeah. really going to be exciting. Sounds, sounds, sounds tasty. Yeah, food for thought. <laughs> and it's going to be all, all about the real uh, life of food and drink and culture in the village and and outside the village and uh coming up of course is uh, your school which is a great show i i suggest everyone listen <laughs> thanks <laughs>